Welcome to PeelPod's Just Environmental Law, debating environmental law and justice for everyone. Brought to you by Public Interest Environmental Law UK. Hello everyone, welcome back to PeelPod, where we talk about environmental law brought to you by Peel UK. I'm your host, Ejin, and we have Steve Hine with us today. Steve is the policy and media manager at the not-for-profit City to Sea, who campaigns to stop plastic pollution at source. He has been leading on their work to see a ban on some of the most polluting single-use plastics. Before City to Sea, Steve has worked at local, national, and European levels of politics and has worked in Brussels, Kampala, and the Middle East. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? Yeah, very well. It's all an exciting time in the world of being a plastics geek. So we've had lots of news this week about the uh, planned deposit return scheme. So the idea of putting a small financial deposit onto the packaging you buy, and that would then incentivize customers to bring it back. Mm. And this week, Westminster has said that they might try and ban the Scottish government from introducing their deposit return scheme in August, something which we think is a real shame. So yeah, a very exciting week in the world of plastics. Talking about the plastic ban, which is going to be implemented in England this October, can you talk to us a bit more about that? Like what is being restricted, where this ban will be effective? I've read that Scotland and Wales already have their own plastic bans. So there's a whole sorry history to this uh, banning that I think it's worth going through to understand how we've got to where we are today and why this list, which to some people might seem slightly arbitrary, actually has a whole history of how we've got there and why certain things have been banned in certain places. So it starts with the European Union single use directive. So back when Britain was still part of the union, uh, the European Union, uh, there was a series of negotiations about what should be banned. And it was based on which single-use plastic items were the most polluting. So which ones were most commonly found in our rivers, on our beaches and in our oceans. But then they combined that list with a second list, which was which items are going to be the easiest to swap out within our market. So mm. to give you a good example, uh, single-use plastic cutlery is something that has just been announced that's going to be banned uh, across England. Uh, it's already banned all across the European Union. And the reason for that is not only did we find it uh, on our beaches and our rivers and our oceans, but also because we know there's already alternatives on our markets that are really easy to use. So everybody, if you open the top drawer in anybody's kitchen, right, we already have reusable cutlery. So when you get your delivery delivered to your door, there's no need to have single-use plastic cutlery in that scenario because you've all got cutlery at home that you use day in, day out. If you're in a takeaway situation, either you can use your fingers if you're going to go buy a packet of chips or if you really need single-use cutlery, there are already things on the market like bamboo, like wood, that are genuinely compostable in a way that plastics aren't. So, that, so, so plastic cutlery is a really good example of something that is highly polluting and really easy to switch out. And there were other things on the list that had similar logic as well. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about coffee stirrers, we're talking about cotton buds, uh, we're talking about balloon sticks, plates, polystyrene cups, 
these types of items that cause a huge environmental problem, but are easy to swap out um, because there's something already available on the, on the market. So this uh, is what made up Article 5 of the European Union Single Use Directive, these items that uh, should be banned. And this was passed by all of the European institutions in 2019. And then the way a directive works at a European level is that there's then a two year transposition period. So a two year period where it has to go from just being a European Union directive to being transposed into national member state law. So by July 2021, all members of the European Union uh, had to have uh, written and passed their own legislation to reflect the directive, which included banning some of these items. Now, obviously, Britain was a bit of an exception because we chose to leave the European Union. Yeah, you know, we're here Brexit. Brexit. Yeah. Um, and it's caused a bit of a stir because it was quite unclear about what was going to happen. So uh, because waste is a devolved issue, it gets even more complicated. So we're not just even talking about Westminster, but we're talking about the Scottish Parliament, the Welsh Assembly. Uh, we're talking about Stormont. And we're also talking about the House of Commons as well in terms of passing different bits of legislation. You can see how this is getting complicated. So <laughs> those different uh, legislative bodies uh, all started to draw up their own uh, legislation about what they wanted to do and when in relation to this. And there's a general consensus that we don't want to move too far away from the European single market and having access to that. So there's a general consensus that, you know, and also this just made sense. So people kind of felt like we should be moving this way. Uh, for England, that meant in October 2020, banning half of that list, so things like cotton buds and cotton uh, and um, stir at coffee stirrers, they were banned in 2020, but they left off the list for some reason, things like uh, the plastic cutlery, the plates, the polystyrene cups. And so it's only now that we've had confirmation that the, that the rest of the list of that Article 5 of the European Union Single Use Directive is now going to be fully banned uh, inside England. And that was after a really long, and if I'm honest, quite arduous campaign on our behalf to make sure that, there, that it wasn't going to be forgotten and that we were going to keep up with those minimum standards of the European Union. CV2C has been campaigning for years a wider plastic ban to reflect what the EU is doing. Why is there such a great reluctance in banning plastics in England? So I think without getting too political, I think there's probably two broad answers to that about why England is sort of dragging its feet on this. And I think um, the first one is sort of pragmatic and the second one is kind of principled, I guess, as much as this government can be principled. So the first uh, is this sort of pragmatic. There was just a reality that we've gone through an incredible amount of political turmoil uh, in Britain recently, and particularly in Westminster, you know, like um, every time I blink, seemingly we have a different environment minister in place. Yeah. And this just means that there was a huge backlog in legislation, I think, within Westminster. And I think the reality was that perhaps this never quite um, brought itself to the top of the list. And one of the things that our campaign was doing was to make sure that this issue was at the top of DEFRA's list of things that they were planning to do um, and to make sure that it happened quickly. So it was really just sort of proving to DEFRA time and time again that the public cared about this, uh, it, was, it was pragmatic, it was sensible, and that business was already prepared for it because they'd known that it was coming in since 
um, the mid 2010s, really, when it started to go through mm-hmm. the European institutions. So that was that's the kind of sort of pragmatic reason, I guess. The second reason is me speculating, so I don't know for mm-hmm. certain. But if you look at the sort of the ideological direction of this government, it's yeah. broadly a small state, low regulation um ideology underpinning it so it wants low taxes low state intervention and that's its kind of sort of ideological background and so i guess the idea of banning um certain items from the market doesn't sit ideologically comfortably with this conservative government in a way it might with different political parties being in power moving forward how do you think brexit will continue to influence the UK government's um, attitude towards banning plastics or, you know, just other environmental policies in general? Uh, that is a really big question uh, that you could go down a number of different ways of answering it. Um, so I, I think the first point to make is that the working assumption of most people is that we're going to see a change of government come May 2024. And it if anything, we'll probably see a greater alignment to European standards, I think, post uh, that change of government. So that's the kind of working assumption, I think, going forward within the policy world, is that we're looking at a change of government. And that the reality of that is that this uh, the next government is going to be wanting a period of stability. And that means probably greater alignment uh, in standards, even if they're British standards set by the British um, Parliament, and um, that there'll be a closer alignment there with European standards as well. Um, that said, it'll be interesting to see because the European institutions have got quite, um, well, in, in terms of sort of the relative nature of, of, of politics and how it moves, a relatively ambitious um, set of proposals going forward around circular economies, increasing recycled plastic content, about banning certain items, taking action on uh, bioplastics, all of those types of questions. So, so whether and how Britain keeps up with that is something that we're going to be um, monitoring closely. In in the short term, uh, there's. I, I think it's it's fairly safe to say that on most environmental standards, the European Union has carried on progressing over the last few years, developing more of its policies, and the British government has had this relative degree of turbulence and hasn't managed to push ahead with its environmental agenda in the in in, in the same way. Now, there's a sort of there's a Brexit paradox going on here slightly in that Britain wants to chart its own path it says you know become global Britain set its own standards those types of thing whilst at the same time uh, we can see that um, we we can see that uh, Britain is really struggling to keep up with the standards of the European Union, you know, like, like, and and this is a really good example of the single use plastics ban. This is, this was really basic minimum standards. So I'm very conscious that it was uh, described in quite a lot of the British press as this pioneering, groundbreaking initiative, you know, to ban some of the most uh, polluting single-use plastics. And And it was kind of my role to go, yes, we've been campaigning for this. We're very pleased about this. But we've got also got to be clear that these are absolute minimum standards that we're just about making, um, bringing ourselves up to. And 
that that kind of sort of sim- like symbolic, I think, probably, you know, and on how our relationship is with Britain, uh, with the European Union. We, we've got the rhetoric of being global Britain, of leading the race on plastic pollution. Uh, and then the reality is that we're struggling to keep up with um, commonly held minimum standards uh, on, on tackling plastic pollution. I see. On that point, then, organizations like um, City to Sea, play an even greater role in terms of advocating and campaigning for more effective policies to be implemented. Speaking of policies, I'm sure one question on everyone's mind is, why can't we just recycle the plastics we produce? Why do we need to ban it? Because the ban seems very arbitrary. Uh, that is a really good question, and it's uh, it's an idea that is really deeply embedded with us. So, like deeply embedded in British culture is the image of the Wombles walking around and picking up litter to recycle it. You know, like uh, we've been told ever since um, certainly my my childhood a few decades ago, uh, we've been told the idea that if we just recycle more, this would be the solution to the problem. Um, yeah, the three R's. Uh, yes, exactly that, exactly. And, and the reality is that we're just not coping with the amount of plastic that's being produced. And to expect that our waste streams, including our recycled waste streams, should be able to cope with this is broadly fantasy talk. So of all the plastics that's, that's been produced in the world, we're talking about less than 10% of it has ever been recycled. So we're talking about over 90% of the world's plastic uh, remained unrecycled. And this means uh, that it's been incinerated, it's been burnt. And by that, I mean both in commercial incineration, but also um, investigations have shown how it's been shipped around the world and then burnt on the side of the street, causing huge uh, health problems as well as environmental. Uh, we've got a huge amount of plastics that's ended up in landfill. Uh, and we also know that just a huge amount of it has ended up in our natural environment um, and, and, and particularly in our waterways as well. So if you think about the nature of how we use quite a lot of, pack, uh, of plastic packaging, for example, in the takeaway sector, you go to buy something, it's in a bit of single-use plastic packaging. At best, this will get shoved into an overflowing bin. And at worst, it will get chucked out of a car window or get dropped on the street or something like that. Next heavy rainfall, it gets washed down and it either gets uh, caught up in, 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 in some guttering and causes some like localised flooding or it breaks down and it goes down into our, into, our, into our drainage system and then it ends up directly into our waterways as well. And then, of course, then it enters into our food system. Uh, it enters uh, by being eaten by fish, by ending up on our soils and in, in our vegetables. And there's a study out um, that estimated that the average um, human now eats a credit card's worth of plastic every week. So this is this is how it's 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 coming back to us now. More likely than not, if you were to throw a rod into the ocean to do a bit of fishing, the fish that you would catch uh, would have uh, would 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 have plastic inside it. And when you eat that fish. Uh, it would end up um, inside you as well. There are studies now that find plastic in your blood uh, um, for um, women who are pregnant in their placentas and are passing through the placenta into the unborn baby. Uh, it's, 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 there's a growing body of evidence around the health impact as well. Um, so, sorry, going back to your question, because I got sidetracked slightly there about why is recycling not enough? The answer, the very basic answer is because there's been a huge boom in cheap fossil fuels that has 
proliferated a huge amount of single-use plastic on the world. So, so there's there's a bit of a myth about plastics that it's driven by demand, okay, that people demand it because it's convenient about the way that we shop and all the rest of it. And that's misunderstanding the problem. This is actually a supply forcing a, a demand issue. So there's a huge overproduction of single-use plastic, which means that it's outrageously cheap. Uh, and that the economies don't in any way reflect the harm that it does or the actual real price uh, um, of or value of, of the packaging. Um, and so then you're left with this huge oversupply so that it becomes economic for uh, producers to then wrap and to package their, their produce in single-use plastic when it doesn't need to be. Um, we've actually just launched a um, petition uh, now on 38 Degrees about... Uh, five of the most wasted items in British supermarkets, so potatoes, onions, bananas, carrots. Um, these items have been shown that if you wrap them in plastic, this increases plastic waste, but it also increases uh, food waste as well and costs the consumer more. So by just taking those plastic wrappings off, you can, um, you can save money, you can save plastic, and you can save food waste by enabling customers to choose the exact amount that they need. Um, and so, yeah, if you want to search for that, it's about choose loose on 38 degrees. Um, but, but again, it's just this, this swamp of, of, of plastic packaging and our recycling system just isn't set up to deal with this volume of plastic that we're producing in any way, shape or form. So we would say, yes, we need better and we need more recycling systems. And this is going to be part of the solution going forward. But the key thing is about the reduction. We need to reduce the amount of single-use packaging that we're that, that, that we're producing. And anyone who talks to you about recycling whilst denying the need for reduction alongside of it isn't part of the solution. They're part of the problem. And this has got the echoes of all of the biggest plastic producers. So uh, if you take Coca-Cola as a really good example, they currently produce about 200,000 single-use plastic bottles every minute. Okay, and they for years in a row now have been named the biggest plastic producers in the world. Their entire action plan to tackle this problem is to say, we'll just recycle more, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that we collect back in all our bottles and we'll just recycle more. And this is a so far away from reality to be laughable they're not even close to collecting in all of the bottles that they're producing at the moment let alone the historical backlog of all the plastic bottles that they've produced and second of all there's just no suggestion that in all of the markets that they sell in around the world there's anywhere near the capacity to recycle the volumes of single-use plastic bottles that they're selling and this is a big, big issue. We need reduction um, alongside a slight improvement of recycling. And yeah, and, 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 and so that, you know, again, I'm afraid I went on a quite long time there, but that is why recycling by itself, although it's a good thing, is nowhere near answering the solution to the plastic crisis. Um, one final analogy, I guess, to, to, to finish off the answer, which is that people quite often talk about us facing a flood of plastic and what recycling is, it, it's the metaphorical mop. It's helping us mop up this flood, but it doesn't work if you don't turn the taps off at the same time. You need to stop that flood from happening and then we can start thinking about mopping up the mess that we've already got in this world. Now that we've established recycling isn't the solution, we can't just out-recycle the plastics we produce. 
people are going to rely more on alternative materials with this ban in place. And one of the biggest concerns flowing from this is that the environmental impact of producing these alternative materials may be more harmful. You know, for example, like um, paper products take more energy to produce. The question is then, are we creating more problems with this ban? So I think probably one of the key things that we talk about as an organisation is not just the shift away from single-use plastics, but the shift from single-use to reuse packaging solutions. So there's a bit of technical jargon around the waste hierarchy. So this is basically talking about for any given business model or individual item that you look to package, um, there's, there's a hierarchy in which you should follow. The top being... Uh, reduction that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. So is there a way of stripping back packaging altogether? Does it need a cardboard box? Um, like a, a really good example is if you run a, a fish and chip shop with your uh, with your cutlery example I gave earlier, um, do you hand over a piece of cutlery with every order as standard or do you ask the customer, uh, would you like a uh, any cutlery with that and that way you can reduce the amount of uh, packaging or or products that you're sending out there in the world so it's about reduction is the first thing the second thing which is a huge growing market uh, is around reuse systems so again so it's going okay so this particular item or this particular business model it requires packaging we can't go without packaging we've already established that so the second thing is uh, can this packaging in any way be reusable? And although, as I say, it's it's growing, the potential for growth there is absolutely huge. So to give some examples, in France at the moment, they've introduced a piece of legislation that says for all big eat-in chains, so restaurants, cafes and bars, all of the food has to be served in reusable containers. So if you go to a McDonald's in France now, you'll get your fries and you'll get your burger and you'll get your milkshake in reusable packaging that you'll hand back in and it'll be washed and it'll be reused time and time again. And if you think about it, there's absolutely no reason why that couldn't happen everywhere in every eaten setting around the world, mm-hmm. you know, particularly for big chains. So we're not talking about in small independent cafes that might not have space for uh, washing up or a dishwasher or anything like that. We're talking about um, we're talking about the big chains. So your Subways, your Burger Kings, your McDonald's, your um, your Starbucks, and all the rest of it. And then underneath reusable, there is um, there's the concept of recycling as well. So so earlier in your last in the last conversation, I was talking about um, about why recycling wasn't enough. We need to make sure that anything that's not suitable for recycle uh, for, re- for reusable packaging solution that it is a hundred percent recyclable, um, and to make sure that it is recycled to the best of its capacity. So often. People think of recycling as a circular motion, you know, like you you put a plastic bottle in for recycling, uh, it gets broken down, it gets reformed, and you've got a new plastic bottle out the other end. And that doesn't quite describe the reality of it, because in reality, you're, you're doing something more like downcycling. So every time you recycle plastic, the quality of the polymers uh, decreases, and it actually has to um, drop down a level. So even if you get 100% pure um, PET plastic, so like a Coca-Cola bottle, even if you had a 
just that as a as a hundred percent perfect, that will only be recycled, but maybe maybe a dozen times, and and even then you have to introduce what you call virgin plastics, which is sort of um, fossil fuel based pure plastic polymers into the mix as well to keep that quality of the plastic high um, and then the reality is that it's slowly downgraded until you end up with something that is suitable for nothing more than um, being mashed up into into the base of a road or something like that and then the reality of it is that it wears down into smaller microplastics and it enters our natural environment anyway so the idea of recycling being completely circular as well is also a bit of a myth um, but that, um, so that's 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 the kind of um, solution I think probably to not go for sw simple swap outs of uh, of plastic items for other single use items because everything, however good it is, has its own environmental impact and its own environmental footprint, um, and we, we should be looking to follow that waste hierarchy as closely as possible, and that would then really minimise uh, in most situations the environmental impact that a piece of packaging or solution has. You said in France these policies are implemented on big chain restaurants, but the ban in England covers all types of establishments, big or small. Will smaller businesses be disproportionately affected by this ban? Um, exactly. So we've been doing quite a lot of work with small businesses already, and one of the one of the things that I think we can really encourage them is to look at complete. Um, customer to business relations and about how customers interact with their business uh, and look to find ways that can save them money and can save their customer money and also crucially save the environment as well at the same time. And that's, I think, where, where we start talking about um, reduction and reuse to be really, really key, key to that process. Um, so about trying to trying to reduce the amount of packaging that any business has at any one moment, uh, and to also not get drawn into false solutions as well. So for example, if you go into a lot of um, festival food stores, for example, or small independent cafes, it's not uncommon at the moment to see uh, bioplastic based um, cutlery, cups, plates, and things like that. And it'll say on it things like, I'm compostable and things like that. And the, the stall owner or the business owner will think that they're doing a really good environmental thing because instead of having non-compostable plastics, they've bought compostable bioplastics. But the reality is a fewfold. One, these items are often much more expensive. So they're, they're spending a premium to try and buy environmentally sound products. But then second of all, the word compostable when it comes to plastics just means that it has to break down in industrial settings. So high temperatures and high pressure. If you put it in your home compost, it's not going to compost. It's just going to break down like conventional plastic would, causing all of the problems of plastic pollution and all the rest of it. So there's a danger there that I think a lot of small businesses have almost been hoodwinked into buying bioplastic alternatives when it's not the right solution for them. It's not the right solution for their customers and it's not the right solution for the environment either. And by working with them, we can um, encourage them to look to go down a reuse setting, which again, anything that is reusable has a higher upfront capital cost, but then it saves on the revenue of needing to buy replacements constantly week in, mm -hmm. week out as well. And that applies for everything across uh, that, that, that you could imagine. So um, take 
a purchase of a reusable water bottle, say for £4.99 yep. from, uh, from anywhere that you could buy a reusable water bottle from. Uh, that is obviously more expensive than a £1 bottle of, uh, of water. But by the time you've refilled it five times, you've, you've saved yourself this, the equivalent money and then use it another five times and you've saved yourself a fiver as a consumer. And that's, that's a simple example of, of, for, for a consumer. Um, again, with reusable coffee cups, um, yeah, it might cost you a fiver to buy reusable coffee cups, but most places offer you discounts if you bring your own reusable coffee cup. Um, we run at City to Sea, we run a plastic free periods campaign again, and we run a education program in schools to give impartial advice about different period products. Uh, because again, most people don't realize that period products are interweaved with plastic. So it's not just the packaging, but it's the actual product that you put inside you. Um, and um, and again, that there's a whole range of reusable products on the market there. So when we start talking about, for example, period poverty, which is uh, a lot of people taking action at the moment, that if we can expose young people to the whole range of products that are on the market, and so they can make an informed decision about what's right for them and what's right for their body. Um, if somebody finds that a reusable product is right for them, this can save them a huge amount of money over their lifetime by, by using a reusable period product over a single use disposable product and it's got the really happy byproduct of being the right thing for the environment as well at the same time uh, and it saves businesses loads of money because uh, what we know is uh, period products alongside all sorts of other things are often flushed down toilets um, which then cause blockages and sewage systems which then cost our water companies huge like we're talking about tens of millions of pounds to unblock wow. every year uh, which then obviously where does that cost go to it gets passed on to um, the consumer yes. through our bills as well so there's a whole circular motion there of um, the more that we can think in every part of our lives about how reusables can become normalized I think there's a potential there for for, for money saving for individuals money saving for businesses uh, and hopefully um, yeah producing a bit less of the plastic that we know has got this wide-ranging environmental problem and social mm -hmm. and health problems as well see so it's a long-term investment rather than a short-term cost absolutely and, and and i would just put a flag here probably because it's probably something that is already flagging up in many of your listeners brains that you know there is a social justice issue there because you know like that's great if you can afford to buy a five pound water bottle if you can afford to buy a 15 pounds pair of reusable period pants you know like that's great for you you can save lots of money but the reality is that that's not affordable for a large swathe of the population and i would say this is where government policy needs to come in as well mm -hmm. so for example um government already sends period products into schools um, and that and we would say that part of that process is about normalizing sending in reusable products as well because this would be a, a potential solution along term systemic solution to period poverty um, not just a short-term fix at the same time um, I would say that uh, councils should be um, investing in water fountains in public places um, because yes this is this is an expenditure but it's an expenditure um, at, at, at a council level and that this will then save uh, consumers across that district money every time they walk past it they can refill their water bottle rather than having to pop into WH Smith's to buy a single-use plastic bottle so there's there's so the capital doesn't the capital outlay doesn't just have to sit on the individual um, it could and it should I think also sit with actors of the state through government and councils as well
Amazing, amazing. And for before we wrap up, for listeners who are interested to learn more about what City to Sea is doing or learn more about、um, the consequences of plastics in general, where 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 can we direct them to? So if you follow City to Sea, so that's City and then T O and then S E A, as in City to Sea, and underscore, you'll find us on、um, on Twitter. You'll find us on Facebook. You'll find us on Instagram、uh, to follow. That's a really good way. If you just search City to Sea, you'll find our website, and on there is a whole plastic-free living. Uh, hub. So there's lots of advice on there as well for individuals about how you can make individual behaviour changes, about how you can、um, choose different actions and make different informed decisions. And you can also sign up to our newsletter, which goes out once a month, and it's a really good way of just staying up to date with our campaigns. Because you know we can all make individual behaviour changes, but ultimately it's about systemic change. And so by lending your voice to a campaign to ask business or government to change its way, you're amplifying your voice. You're Becoming part of a movement, and、uh, you're ultimately having more power. Massive thank you, Steve, for hopping on this conversation, giving us a very comprehensive overview of what the plastic ban is about and why it's important. Listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. And a little segue from here, our organization is having our annual flagship conference this Thursday. So, if you are interested in learning more about the legal developments of loss and damage, this would be something up your alley. Find out more information on our social media platforms, and we can't wait to see you there. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, leave us a comment, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.